On this episode of Right on Radio, Jesse Zaboder, the Illuminati survivor, is back, and I had an agenda. We had a whole bunch of stuff to talk about, but the conversation went in a very wild way, and sometimes you just gotta go with the flow. Jesse knows so much, and so many different things came up, like possessions, vampires, and much, much more. You're gonna enjoy this one. It's a great conversation. Welcome to Right on Radio. Right on, right on, right on. One quick note before we get into the interview that I wanted to point out. This interview, when it was taped, we did experience some technical difficulties. Now, everyone who does anything with Jesse experiences technical difficulties. How these things get in the way, I don't know, but I decided to leave them in so you can hear it. Uh, at the time when the audio does come out, it's only for about 10 seconds, and that happens a couple times, but just be patient. I want you to actually experience what we experienced, and with no further ado, here comes the interview with Jesse. Right on Radio. Right on Radio. Yes, thank you for coming back to Ride On Radio. Just a reminder, please like, subscribe, and share on the internet with all your friends because the more you like, subscribe, and share, the more the information gets out and it breaks the algorithms of these technical tyrants that run the world. What a great show I have for you today. Of course, I have Jesse Zaboder back by popular demand. What an incredible couple interviews we've had. We've had tons of feedback, and I want to talk to you about that in just a moment before I bring her on. But before I bring her on, I do want to point you to three places. First of all, if you're not following Jesse Zaboder on Twitter, it's at Zaboder Jesse on Twitter. Please also go to Kathy Kathy Fox blog on Twitter, which is an amazing amount of information. That's Kathy with a C, Kathy Kathy Fox on Twitter. And go to the website, Illuminate the Darkness. This is probably the best website on the entire internet of all the information regarding the, the Illuminati, child trafficking, all these things are on there. It's so rich with information. And by the way, it's vetted information. There's eyewitnesses, there's witnesses, survivor testimonies on there. It's an incredible place to go. So go to Illuminate the Darkness and don't forget to buy Jesse's book. If you think these interviews are explosive and have great material, when she's actually methodical and writing this stuff down, it's a wow moment. Every page you read will knock your socks off. And her book, of, call, of course, is called His Kingdom Comes in Power. I've already posted links on the Right On Radio Facebook page, which is you can be found at, at Real Right On Radio. And I'm going to put it in the link to this podcast. Jesse Zaboder, thank you for joining us once again on Right On Radio. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. It's good to be here. Jesse, we've had a lot of interesting stuff happen. Um, these broadcasts with you, and I understand this happens with uh, other people that you do shows with <laughs> as well. They're full of technical difficulties that don't come up at any other time. Mm -hmm. 
And the feedback I've been getting on these shows has been most interesting. And I'll just ask for your opinion on it. And I actually sent you one of the notes, but I've been having Illuminati Satanists reach out to me, claiming hail Satan and try to recruit me into his kingdom, which is not going to work. So if you're listening, hail Sataners, uh, don't bother. <laughs> don't bother. <laughs> and also I've had people from the church come out against me saying, oh, you should only keep your eyes on Jesus and not worry about what the enemy is doing. What are your thoughts, Jesse? Well, we'll start with the uh, Luminati recruiters. Um, you know, I have had a lot of other individuals who suddenly start getting, um, you know, Luminati people writing them and, um, you know, some of them have even gotten threats from them telling them to not talk to not put out information or remove what they've put out. Um, you know, so that's always interesting. Me and my mischievous self, you know, I'm somebody who always has to engage these people. Um, part of that is because I, you know, I know the Lord's heart that he desires that none should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of the truth. So, um, you know, it just depends on the mood I'm in that day, but, you know, if I really need a lot of humor and I'm angry, then I, I'll kind of approach it, you know, where, you know, some of them will be like, hey, you know, join, you get $500,000 upon initiation, okay? When I first saw that one, I was like, what the heck? Like, I went through initiation and I got diddly squat. In fact, my training partner, he got diddly squat too. <laughs> well, he had <laughs> like, his house burnt down. Right. I mean, we went through hell, you know, I mean, it was like literally beat up every day, you know, and I was like, we, we didn't get anything. So, you know, the, I think after the, probably the fifth one that we got, I was like, you know, maybe we should go back. I was like, they won't know at first who we are. You know, we can make it through initiation and get the money. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so anyway, it's amazing how quickly you picked up these rituals, <laughs> right, right? I mean, it's like, like we'll see how far we get before Satan actually appears and says something, but then that'll scare the heck out of them. So like, when they find out who we really are, you know, he wrote them and it was pretty funny. You know, he made some comments about, you know, I know you won't disappoint and I, you know, I'm pretty sure I, I won't disappoint you either. <laughs> I was laughing. I, I was laughing so hard, but other ones I try to, you know, I try to reach out and, you know, we had somebody who was pretty high in the recruiting realm and was one of the direct people working under a high priest. And, you know, I reached out to that person. It was just like, Hey, you know, if you want to talk, like you can talk to your higher up person you know, find out who I am. And, you know, it's like, I'd really love to have a conversation with you. And um, so I try to engage them and stuff. But um, once they really find out who I am and what my position is, then, you know, they usually have to follow protocol. And usually they're told not to talk to me at all. Um, but it will bring in, like you'll see on my Twitter page, I actually do interact with a lot of individuals who are high priests or priestesses, um, you know, so usually they're the next step where once the recruiter figures out who I am, then I get the high priest or priestess, you know, on my page trying to interact with me and, 
it gets to be, you know, good conversations, but. It's hard to imagine having a good conversation with a high priestess of Satan. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I try to keep it on, you know, I try to think about, you know, what it was like when I was stuck in there. And, and you know, if you think about these people as average people, you know, we can bet on two things. One, they're under the enemy's thumb. So, you know, if you think of your own suffering, even as a Christian, just imagine what it's like to go through that without God, mm. you know? So, so, you know, these people are going to be suffering the same way. They're, they're going to have health issues. They're going to have their finances hit at times, you know, they're going to have relationship issues. So I try to think of them as normal, you know, people and try to connect to them that way. You know, I had a couple individuals, you know, where it's like, how, how have things been going this week for you? You know, what, what has your week been like? What, what's the hardest thing you've dealt with this week? And as you ask those questions, they will open up, you know, like, what was it? Um, I was trying to think of, we had uh, a very interesting conversation with one of the high priests and someone had kind of made like a general pat statement and had just said you know all masons worship lucifer but they didn't back that statement up they didn't um give any proofs for that and i you know if you're going to make a statement like that you need to be able to show people how or when you know these people do that so you know i had started adding stuff and i don't I don't go from the Christian perspective. Um, I, I get a lot of kickback actually from Christians for that. But the method to my, you know, madness is that you have to show people that they actually are indeed worshiping Lucifer. So it's like, you know, I talk about some of the, you know, other organizations that are, or departments that are underneath the Illuminati. So like the Masons. Um, so if you're going to say a Mason is a Luciferian, you have to know where to take people to, to show that information. Um, so I literally, you know, put up pictures of their higher level esoterical books, you know, where it shows the, the daily meditations that they have to do. That's part of their, um, you know, their, we'll call it their faith, um, but as you're looking at these meditations, like one of the approved meditations is to talk. Okay. And, you know, it talks about, you know, he who blows the wind into the hearts of men. Well, you know, most people aren't going to know that that line actually comes, comes straight out of a Masonic oath. Like you take that oath and the first part of it talks about, you know, that you're taking it to God Almighty, the clandestine, who blows the wind into the hearts of men. Um, well, who's God Almighty in that? Who blows the wind into the hearts of men? It's not Jesus Christ. It's not God the Father. It's not the Christian God that we know. But because these Masons, you know, they have Bibles too. A lot of them at the lower levels, they believe that they are Christian. You know, to them, they just see it building on their relationship with God Almighty. They don't stop and question, well, wait a second, 
who blows the wind into the hearts of men. Well, as they get into those higher levels and they change the meditations that they do, that's when they learn about Toth, who is one of the 72 demons, you know, who's listed out of the Keys of Solomon. Well, you know, the Keys of Solomon is one of the books of, of witchcraft and black magic. It's kind of the first book that you're going to learn as you're getting into those things. You're going to learn the names of all the demons, what they do, you know, why you would summon them. So why is a Mason, if they're Christian, using a satanic book, uh, a forbidden book at that? <laughs> um, you know, so, so those are some of the things, you know, that, um, you know, as, as we reached out in that situation, the Lord actually opened the door for me to talk to that high level um, Mason. And, um, you know, we ended up having conversations and, you know, he was like, well, I don't worship Lucifer. And it's like, well, but have you studied the book of the keys of Solomon? Yeah, you have, you know, ha have you done the meditations of talk? Yeah, you have, you know? So it's like, are you really worshiping God in that, you know, and, and they have to come to that honest answer that no, no, they're not, you know, they're not sold out to God and Jesus Christ 100%. So just for some clarification for the listeners on this broadcast, with, with the Masons in particular, and, and the Masons are in every community, of course, mm -hmm. and from what I see, and I have extended family and some really good friends who joined the Masons years ago, and probably the main motivation for that was they thought they would get you know, more financially secure in this. It's the mm -hmm. business connections and, and what you find is there's a lot of law enforcement and things like that in there. But these people don't go in thinking that they're going to be worshiping another God. They don't think they, they actually think that their religion or belief system is allowed because that's what they're told. But when you really go through, I guess it's that third degree, which is kind of the real entry level people. And I, and that's where most people stay but there's a ceremony where they have to repeat some gibberish, as I understand, and they have to do a lot of gestures like slicing their neck and things like that. What, what's the power of just that entry-level ceremony that someone is doing? With, with everything, um, you know, it's connecting people to demonic spirits. Um, so all of those symbols, all of those, you know, even at its base level to you know, you look at the initial initiation and it starts where you have to knock on the door in order to gain entrance into the secret room where everybody's gathering. Now, you know, with every ceremony, every um, meeting, that door is key. You can only get in that door three ways. You either have to give a sign, a handshake or a token. Okay, all of those things at their core have have their base in witchcraft. Um, you know, the secret signs are all old Jesuit hand signs that were used to communicate, um, you know, by those who were involved in Luciferianism. A token or a sigil is something that's used in witchcraft that's prayed over that has a spirit connected to it. Um, you know, a word 
is you know i mean that necessarily doesn't or doesn't necessarily have to be you know demonic but you know usually those words are things that you know are not scriptural not bible based um you know you look at their foundation and everything about them they take all these biblical stories and analogies but there's always a twist in them um the focus is on really on brotherhood which that's the original name you know of through the, the centuries of yeah of the illuminati you know they were known as the great white brotherhood and that's the one thing that they specialize in is making that bond of brotherhood so that you know you're bound to this group of people you're bound to the spirits that all of you are connected to and you know under no circumstances do you ever break that bond um you know so it's really very focused in that um yeah i talk i talk quite a bit about it in my blog uh silence breaks forth into song that's where i really start to oh we um Oh, we, you, you froze for a second with the technology, though. So the last <laughs> thing we heard is that, oh, connected to. Yeah, so I said, uh, well, I'll start all over with that. So, yeah, I, I talk about this in my blog, Silence Breaks Forth into Song. And, um, and where can they find that? They can find that either on my website, Illuminate the Dark. Oh, your audio is cut out. Uh, no voice. Can you ladies hear me now? And, there we are, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. The technical stuff is real. This does not happen when you interview regular guests, but of course, when Jesse Sabodar is on, this stuff <laughs> happens because what she has to say is extremely powerful. And there are all kinds of things. I have no idea how demonic spirits or whatever it is gets into technology, but man, they do. And when it's so many times, it cannot be a coincidence. It becomes mathematically impossible. Yeah. So, so silence breaks forth in the song on the Illuminate the Darkness website. Yep. Or at Kathy, Kathy Fox. So one of the questions that would come up when, when someone's listening to this and, you know, I, I'm assuming that, you know, probably more than half of the people who listen to this broadcast really are not dedicated in faith. Uh, and that's the audience I want. Uh, you know, I want to attract more people and, and have their eyes open, live right in the real world. Well, what's the real world? This is it. The real world has a spiritual element to it. Everything is created in the spirit. Anyways, so when you say something like a token mm -hmm. has a spirit attached to that, that seems hard to imagine. So could, could you just explain that a little bit? Because it's not a, a possessed coin at all. So so how is a spirit attached to a token? Um, <coughs> yeah, possessed would probably be the easiest way to explain it. Um, but it's basically an object that um, they have put cells or hexes on that link 
a demonic spirit to it. So anybody who would pick up that item, it's kind of like a genie in a lamp. Okay, so the moment you pick up that lamp and you rub it, there's a genie that pops up and is connected to that. Um, you know, so most tokens are looked at as either, you know, good luck charms or, you know, sometimes when you get into the black magic, they will leave tokens that then, you know, have chaos demons or spirits of destruction linked to them. Um, you know, like I, I've had some stuff like we're, um, I've tried not to go too deep with the audience here, but um, they'll leave stuff in my yard, the witches or the warlocks. So, you know, I often have to check my boundary and um, end of my yard perimeters, but they'll do stuff like weave uh, sticks into a wreath formation or a circle. Um, you know, sometimes they'll leave animals with cauterized heads and they'll leave them in a strange formation where you know that it's not possible for an animal just to randomly die that way or to be, you know, like eaten by a cat and the remains left that way. Um, so they'll do that to signify that, you know, they're watching, that they're, they're being active, um, that they're doing something on your property. Um, I hope that kind of explains it a little bit. It, it's really hard to, you know, for people who don't understand that to go into the depths of, you know, everything has so much meaning and significance that it's like, you know, unraveling a big ball of yarn. <laughs> Every well, topic is unraveling a huge ball of yarn. Yeah, and, and immediately I have so many follow-up questions uh, yeah, to this. But, that but, might help if you ask them. <laughs> but one, one thing I want to just ask you to say, for, for those, because we've touched on the Masonic stuff and we could spend hundreds of hours on this, obviously, uh, if not thousands, but to that entry-level Mason who just got into it thinking, hey, I'm going to make some good business connections and things like that, and they hear this program, what would you have to say to that person? Um, especially if you're thinking that you're getting into a Christian organization, my first encouragement would be to actually read and skim through that Masonic Bible that they're given. Um, if you go towards, you know, the beginning of that Bible it is going to outline the different, um, some of the different base orders of the Masonic organization. So, you know, you're going to get a pretty thorough history. As you read through some of those, you know, definitions, you're going to see things that are, are going to be warning flags. Um, you know, I would pay attention to those things, especially as you get into the esoterical orders, like Order of the Monitor, Order of the Scarlet Cord. Um, you know, really pay attention when you're reading those things, the Rosicrucians, um, look at what they're saying about the group. And then, you know, as you go past the scripture part at the end of the book, you will find word for word um, documents that literally lead you through meditations that are rituals. 
So it will specifically give you directions that, you know, you're to place three candles in the room around you. Uh, they're to represent the three great lights. Well, you know, you need to question if you only light two of the candles and you're the only person in the room who lights the third candle, you know, who are you opening the door to? Um, you know, these are all things that I would just really encourage you to look at. You can literally look in that Bible that they gave you and find that spell. Um, you know, so it really is introductory that there's witchcraft woven in from the very beginning, even at the base levels. Um, you know, they hide it under the guise of, of Christianity. Um, but in, you know, in the Christian Bible, in the word of God, there are no spells. There is nothing that we do to invoke or conjure or summon God. Um, you know, we call upon the name of the Lord. If he shows up, he shows up. You know, we know he hears us, but if he doesn't, you know, we can't force that or make it happen. So, um, that would be my encouragement. Um, so now know, if someone but, is going in there thinking they're Christian and, and actually maybe mm -hmm. they know they're Christian and yet they join the Masons because they thought it was a Christian organization. What does that do? Does it, does it hinder their relationship with, with Jesus Christ? Does it, uh, how, how does that work? How, well, how does God allow Christians to join this? Yeah. It's really built on f almost fostering your faith. It's such a fine line. Um, you know, where it usually gets most people is that, you know, you are doing specific readings, which do include scripture readings, but you know, the scripture they encourage you to use is the Masonic scripture versus um, just any Bible. But, you know, there are Masons who do use actual, you know, Bibles when they're doing their readings and stuff. Um, you know, it encourages you to do the meditations. A lot of those at first are very, you know, seem like they're focused on God. They'll talk about God Almighty there's a lot of Christian themes that go through there that connect people with their faith. So you really feel like you're, you know, entering into this organization that's Christian focused, it's humanitarian focused. So, you know, that's a huge draw for people is that that link with brotherhood and humanity and everybody declares a humanitarian effort, you know, so, as you get into into it a lot of your money your time your resources are really spent investing in other people and some of that is for recruiting purposes that you know each person who gets them um you know you're encouraged to bring others into the fold um there's you know rewards and i'll say they aren't you know it's not money it's not medals it's not things like that that are rewards um you know the there's a lot of christian teachings taught with that so it's like you're rewarded through things like you know they'll say you're you're such a humble brother and that usually means that you know you're not taking any recognition 
that you're kind of behind the scenes. So they foster that where, you know, you, that humbleness almost becomes, you know, a great reward for people. You know, the more silent you are, the more things you're doing in secret that you're not telling, you know, they'll tell you you're storing up your reward in heaven and just you and God know. So, you know, that kind of plays on the Christian theme where, you know, God doesn't want us to boast or brag like the Pharisees did, telling all of our, our works or deeds, you know, that it's just something done between us and God. So they foster a lot of healthy Christian things like that. But then there's always a hidden twist. As I said, it's always a fine line. As you were speaking, a, a Bible verse came to my mind. And to me, it's one of the scariest verses in the Bible. And just in reference to this, and, and I, by the way, I'm not placing any judgment. I don't know. I don't know what God's heart is on this. Uh, but this one scripture came to mind, and, and I'm thinking particularly of the of the Christian who went into masonry. And, you know, the uh, in, in Revelations chapter 3, I think, is, is really speaking to this. In my mind, this does not mean it's fact. But Revelation 3, 16, So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That is the scariest verse in the entire Bible to me. Right. What do you think about that? Yeah, it, I mean, in the context of masonry, um, you know, the majority, if they're really involved and active, I don't think most of them would feel that they were being lukewarm because they're being so active, especially in their humanitarian efforts. Um, but I think, you know, I mean, that's a great word even for us as Christians. You know, what, what are we doing on a daily basis to really, you know, not be in that lukewarm spot? Um, we definitely don't want to be cold. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, we got to search our heart every day so that we're not being cold towards God. Um, but are we constantly looking for avenues or ways to witness or draw people? Um, you know, there's this great story Corey Ten Boom tells in one of her books where she went to visit in Africa and was driving along the road with these two African pastors. And, you know, as they're driving, they just picked her up from the airport. She's got all her luggage in the car. And I guess it was a very small car, as she reports. And so they're driving along and the pastor started praying. And, you know, they were like, Lord, give us sinners to lead to Christ today. And uh, so they're driving along and all of a sudden they see this guy on the side of the road. And, of course, he's got luggage, too. And, you know, so they pull over and, and let the guy in the car and, you know, Corey, she's older, so she was kind of grumpy. She had to move into the front seat, and the guy with his luggage and her luggage was sitting in the back and stuff. Well, as they, you know, went off again, the pastor started praying again, you know, Lord, give us some more people to save. And at the same time, they started witnessing to the guy who was in the car. And Corey was just sitting there, and she was like, my goodness, we can't fit any more people in the car. Like, what are they <laughs> thinking? 
And they got up the road and there was a mother with three children. And she was just like, oh no, oh no, don't stop. <laughs> don't pick up. <laughs> and, uh, but what did the pastors do? They stopped, they pick them up, they put them in the car and, you know, they started witnessing to these people too. And, um, it was really funny though, because in that she, you know, talks about her heart that, you know, she realized her heart was not right that day that she kept seeing, you know, that their means of ministry was full, that there was no more room. Her focus needed to be, okay, Lord, what is your will today? And whatever your will is, I'm going to be adaptable enough to go along with it. Um, so I think about that, you know, you know, it applies all across the field that, you know, if you, if you're a Christian, you need to be seeking every day and asking the Lord, what is your will for me this day? What do you want me doing? Um, you know, the people that I'm connected to, where is their heart really with in relationship to God? And if they're Christians, how can I be you know, a true brother in the Lord and help them grow, encourage their faith. You know, the, the goal isn't, isn't to go out there and do all these humanitarian efforts. You know, yes, it's meeting people's needs, but at the heart of it, you know, we all need to be trusting God as our provider and looking towards that relationship and encouraging people, even in their times of distress, to look towards God and not to be looking, you know, to other humans to be handing stuff out all the time. I'm not saying that's wrong to do that nor to receive that, um, you know, but sometimes people get their focus off where, you know, they're always looking for the wisdom of men. They're always looking for their provision from men um, instead of looking towards God. Um, so we need to be mindful of that. So it's just that that was such a great analogy with that uh, with that car, <laughs> and you know the first thing I thought of during that is you know um, I don't want to get rid of my comfort for the ministry, mm -hmm. and you know the ministry can be very uncomfortable, and the other thing is you know and just in some self reflection and I don't want this show to be about me because that would be ugly uh, in many ways, but. <laughs> You know, I, I don't claim to be a super Christian by any means, but I'll tell you the first thing I do every day is I say sorry <laughs> and I ask for forgiveness because, you know, um, the, you know, the mind is a, is a wild thing and, and God is, is holy and he's just, mm -hmm. and you know, it, there's so many ways we fall, uh, yeah. in every day, uh, multiple ways. Uh, I don't care how good you are. And, and that's the thing about Christianity, uh, that a lot of people have misconceptions. They think, well, the Bible's a book of rules, where really, it, it, to me, it's not a book of rules at all. It actually sets you free. It, it's a loving dad saying, listen, don't touch a hot stove because you're going to burn your hand. And if you want to touch the hot stove, I've made you a free will agent. Touch it. 
but you know, yeah. no matter what you've done, and I think one of the the great things about your ministry and, and one of the most powerful messages, and it just it goes back to the Masons and people who are. It doesn't matter where you are. Listen, if you've been one of these people who's been in the system, one of these nut jobs that's contacting me, sorry, I don't mean to, <laughs> I just think you're nuts because, you know, eternity <laughs> is a very long time. Uh, one of the things that came out that was really interesting, and I'll go back to it, is uh, is when I was talking with Brian in my interview yesterday, Brian Cole, the real ghost rider, check it out. Uh, you know, people who are in the system actually don't, really they believe in de the devil but they don't really believe in god so you know there's kind of a, a great deception that's happening there but uh, but the point i wanted to get to and one of your real main missions and the thing you've asked god for jesse is that even the people who have done the worst things can be saved uh i i wouldn't suggest they wait till their last breath you know mm. to try to do it but if you've been in the system and you've even, you know, been involved in even child sacrifice or something like that, God can actually welcome you into the kingdom. Is that your belief, Jesse? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the main passages the Lord showed me in that, um, well, I should go back, you know, since I was little, it's always been my heart's cry that these people would come out and, um, you know, I really was affected by, by the darkness that they embraced. Um, you know, some of the most painful things to me were watching the, you know, I, I got to see, you know, the people at the very top, top of this, you know, who daily were interacting with Satan. You know, I'd watch them struggle. I'd see their body language, their facial features, you know, as some of this stuff that Satan would tell them that they had to do, you know, I knew they did not want to do it. They, you know, they didn't want to. Um, and, and you see that wrestling, you know, first you see the kind of the, I don't know what to call it, but it's almost like this anti-reaction where they're like, I don't want to do that. And, and they're thinking through, you know, what it actually means what it's going to look like, what, what they're being asked to do. And they're wrestling with it internally. And then they get to the point where, you know, there's this fear, there's this dread of, you know, I can't do that, but I have to. And how am I going to do that? And then, you know, Satan brings people's will to the point where it's not just that you will do the deed, whatever he's asked you to do. He wants you to do it willingly and he wants you to uh, enjoy it. Um, so that's the next part of the deception is that, you know, first they are deceived that they can't say no, they can't turn away from whatever it is. You know, part of that, there's a lot of fear. There's consequences if they don't do what they're told to do. Um, but then they get to that point where they're like, I have to embrace this whether I want to or not. And you see that full heart turn. Well, it seems that we had a technical glitch once again, and I'm sure Jesse will be back in a moment. Hopefully I am not frozen as well. 
Uh, Jesse, I don't know if you can hear, but you, the screen has frozen and we're having some difficulties. Ah, and yeah. I think we're back. <laughs> All right. Where did we get cut off? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, basically, they, their their whole countenance has changed. They, you know, there is certainly the the person had that subconscious moment where, okay, yeah. this is really wrong, and everything in that person is saying, I shouldn't be doing this, but yet they're in the circumstance. They've committed themselves so far. And then you see the countenance change, and I believe that's exactly where you were at the moment. Yeah, it, and so then, you know, the countenance changes, and they fully embrace it to the point of, you know, where they're telling themselves, I do enjoy this, I do want to do this, this is me. Um, so you kind of see that prideful change. And to me, that was one of the most painful things as a kid, because I call it the almost um, you know, you see them wrestling sometimes which, with such a depth of pain that they almost turn away. And, and, you know, there's that expectation, that hope that this is it. They're going to actually like, you know, deny Satan no matter what the cost. They're, they're going to turn away from this evil and this wickedness. And they almost are there and then they fully embrace it. And as a kid, that would break my heart over and over and over again. And, um, you know, so with that was just, you know, the Lord's known that's always been an inner struggle for me. You know, it's like, God, why, why can you not just get them over that almost hump? You know, why do they continuously, when they get to that point of almost, why do they choose to walk in that evil instead of choosing Christ. And um, so it was years later, like, you know, I see a lot of things in picture form um, or stories and analogies. And I was driving and I kept seeing all these fields of wheat that had been mowed down for the, for the harvest and stuff. And, but there would be like all these pieces that would be stuck around the fence posts or, um, you know, like on the sides of the field. And so as I would kept seeing this, like day after day, it was like for like a whole month, the Lord all of a sudden had me in the book of Ruth. And I was reading through that book and got to one verse and it just broke my heart. And it was, you know, the verse where um, Boaz says to Ruth, you know, he gives her permission. He says, you can go behind my servants and you can glean the wheat that's been left on the ground and I just started bawling the first time I that verse just really spoke to me that there was wheat that was left on the ground mm. you know and it was the part that it was purposely left uh, you know and and so as I started driving past those fields you know I started seeing you know all the the corners where the the wheat was, you know, that, that it was in the cracks on the ground. It was hidden. It was, you know, it was really hard to get to. And I started thinking about that in relation to people that, you know, the enemy has put some people in that spot where, you know, even they themselves, they feel like 
there's no way out that they're down this deep deep dark hole that god has and his servants have passed over them and that they're just stuck and you know what the lord really started showing me was that you know his word says that there is a second harvest uh, micah 4 is a big one for that you know not only that there's a second harvest but the lord says you know i will bring out the lame the afflicted the oppressed and i will make them into a mighty army and we forget that connection that with that second harvest you know in the end times and revelations it talks about this end time battle with satan and you know his minions and that god has this mighty army that he's raising up well who are those people who is that army is it per se the church you know i mean i would say that we're all the church as well as those that god is bringing out out of the darkness like we are that army together and we're really missing a huge part of our army you know the christians are the ones who know the word of god they're the generals they're the ones who are to be the first fruits going in and you know bringing the gospel to these people and you know instead of talking about our sin or you know where we've fallen short in how we found christ how god has lifted us out of our own darkness you know we end to we tend to segregate and not engage and i'm a huge person i mean this is probably one of the biggest areas that i get hit by christians is on my methods of engagement with people and you know i'm somebody that one i don't i don't engage in a relationship unless i really feel the lord drawing me towards that relationship with somebody but if the lord draws it if the lord opens the door you know i mean i've got people who are vampire regent lords that i talk with if the lord's opened that door i'm going to dive in um you know and it's it's most people have never even had a conversation with someone who is an actual vampire you know so you know the person that i first engaged you know i can't even remember the initial question i asked him but it wasn't the typical questions he always got you know of do you drink blood you know do <laughs> can you only be out at night you know he was used to all those normal questions people ask him all the time about being a vampire you know and and i asked him this really odd question that it really threw him he was like hmm you know and it drew him into the conversation and i was just asking what i thought was a general polite question but i ended up you know this guy was also a buddhist and and i was like well how does that work being a buddhist vampire because you know <laughs> they both are like you know very focused on self um but it's like the one you have to engage with people the other one strives to engage with nobody just to reach higher enlightenment on your own so i was like how does that melt for you and you know we had this great great conversation you know and and he was really open you know very vulnerable um you know and there were times where he was like well why can 
you not accept that, that it just is. And it's like, well, because in my mind, it makes absolutely no sense. Like you've got two completely conflicting views. You're saying that they're one and that there's balance and it works for you. But in my mind, these two conflicting views, there can be no balance in them, you know? <laughs> so, you know, I'm somebody, I really encourage people to reach out, you know, find a way to talk with people. You know, if, you, if you've got questions, um, you know, reach out. You'll, you'll see on, you know, if you go to my followers list, you'll see that I've got a lot of individuals who are very unique people. Um, every single one of them I follow for a reason. Um, you know, when I look for my sources of information, um, I go straight to the horse's mouth. You know, I, I, I'm very involved with the Satanist communities. Um, you know, I engage with them on a regular basis every week. Uh, you wouldn't believe how much kickback I get on that. But um, well, I can judge just by the feedback <laughs> I had from the church just by interviewing you. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, I've had some of the church coming against me, and I think I handled it well. Uh, listen, I told him. Uh, in fact, so one of the one of the persons was a. Uh, well, I don't even want to give his title, but in fact, I used this answer to a couple different people, and you know, I named their lead pastor. I said, okay, if I put up your lead pastor's best sermon ever, how many non Christians are going to listen to this podcast? Mm-hmm. So, you know, who's reaching more people? And, you know, we're not, uh, I'm not pretending not to be Christian in this. Right. In fact, I think the word of God is being spoken and we're having a real conversation because again, live right in the real world. You have to know what the real world is. You can decide what living right is on your own. Yeah. But there, there's three things that have come up in this conversation now that we're going to have to address. <laughs> Jesse, every time we talk, <laughs> it, just, it opens up so many more doors. It, it's yeah. absolutely fascinating to me and, and I'm sure the listeners as well. So, well, actually, two of the things came up. The other one I have not forgotten about. We ended the last podcast on a bit of a cliffhanger on the April 24th thing. So I'll get to that. But first, you brought up vampires. Yep. (laughs) I think think that, you know, that is going to be a bit of an eye-opener for people. Vampires are real. Uh, on the last broadcast, I believe it was episode 15 that I did with Jesse, uh, you know, werewolves came out. So all of these things from our childhood stories and from they are actually being told to us and they're real. And, and, and honestly, for, for the listening audience, the, the agenda today was to talk a bit about Hollywood and how they message it. And I, I think we're going to have to leave that for another day because there's actually some names uh, and in fact, Jesse, if, if we're going to talk about vampires, just to give a little bit of a Hollywood tease, would you name someone who's known in Hollywood who is an actual vampire? Yeah, so the most famous one is uh, Johnny Depp. And you can actually look up his, um, he also has a band called Hollywood Vampires. Um 
but all the individuals in that band, as well as a lot of bands that they're connected with, are high-level um, vampires. So even Alice Cooper, because he was, uh, he's a born-again Christian, he claims. Um, he is a born-again Christian now. But if you talk to him um, about some of his past, there is some of that involvement with that stuff. Well, it's, it's funny. I have actually sat down uh, and conversed with Vincent Fernier, which is his real mm -hmm. name. And he's a super, super nice guy. And I felt his spirit was right. So, hey, listen, we uh, I'm not a judge. Perhaps this is his ministry hanging out with these guys. Yeah. You know, who knows? Very well could be. Yeah, I, I know he doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, and, and the other guys in the band do. <laughs> I can say that mm -hmm. for a fact. So yeah. Johnny Depp is a vampire, and now you had said the obvious questions. Do vampires drink blood? You know, they obviously don't melt in the sunlight. That part is, uh, is or die in the sunlight, rather. That part uh, seems to not be true. But can you tell what a vampire actually is in real life? Yeah, there's, well, there's two different kinds. Um so the ones that usually I'm talking about are individuals who they've literally been born into a certain bloodline. And I, you know, I think it was during the era of Vlad the Impaler where that's where they got the name vampire. Um, but even before that, like this group of people, their, their positions usually are honorary protectors. So, um, their job in the system is to protect the elite. Um, usually it, they primarily deal with people who are royalty or, you know, elite hierarchy. So that's who they're protecting. Um, the same thing with werewolves. Um, they come out of the lines, the vampires come out of the line of Romanoff and the werewolves come out of the line of Rasputin. Um, with that, you know, it, it's a very honorary position. So, you know, it's, it's passed down from generation to generation through these family lines. Um, usually when a child in that family line reaches age five, it'll be during the next um, high moon that they will take the covenant or the oath with the family demonic spirit. Um, so when they take that covenant with the spirit, um, that spirit is with them for life. They pass it on to every generation that they, you know, of their offspring. Um, from, you know, I grew up believing that they couldn't get rid of that spirit at all, that, you know, one, that it was an unbreakable vow that once they took that vow, they were stuck with that for life. And, um, you know, I have a friend who he, the Lord literally delivered him in a very mighty way. He was one of the werewolves. And um, when, you know, he was talking about the Lord delivering him and I was like, well, but how did you get rid of this spirit? You know, and he's like, well, I simply rebuked it. And I was like, duh, like, why did I, <laughs> that was impossible, right? And um, the kingdom so, comes in power. Right. I was just like, why in the world did I think that was not a possibility? Um but you, you know, you kind of grow up where you see things one way and you see that, you know, for generations, these families have these spirits and, 
you know, that there's no breaking free from the spirit. And yet, so for me to meet somebody who broke free, you know, that the Lord delivered from that spirit's hand, that was a pretty powerful moment. Um, so, so Johnny Depp, would he be a protector of someone? It sound, it would seem to anyone listening that he would have people protecting him. Um, I probably, I, I won't go into that, actually. I'm not going to go into that, but And ladies and gentlemen, there are certain details that Jesse cannot give out. And there, there's many reasons, partly because of the, this is just for the benefit of those listening, partly because of her family connections, the hierarchy, um, because of active government things that are going on right now that are going against it, which we're going to touch on in a future broadcast. But there are certain questions that she will not be able to answer. And I just ask the audience, please respect that. It, the information you're getting from Jesse is deeper than anything you've probably ever heard before. So just be thankful for that and please respect the fact that she cannot answer certain things. So yeah. I, I'm glad I asked that question because I was able to make that point. Yeah, no, that was good. But yeah, he does come from both, you know, Royal French line as well as um, he's kind of in a dual ro role. So we can just leave it there. Um, you know, so he does need protection as well as he has his own protection uh, through himself. And, you know, there is somebody that he does protect. But, um, yeah, so you've got, you know, people like him are born in. So he literally came through one of the bloodlines, um, was born in, took the spirit when he was young. Um, other, like the more common day vampires are, are considered more energy vampires where they don't necessarily drink blood or, you know, they get blood through other means than humans. Um, and, you know, it's more of like an energy sucking, a psychic vampire. Um, that type of vampirism is more of a, a lifestyle choice. So they take a lot of the romanticism or a lot of the, um, you know, myths about vampires and make it a reality in their lives um, by the way they dress, the way they live. Um, but it's not, you know, true vampirism. So um, Jesse, that just brings up a, a, such an amazing thought to me because even before I became a Christian, I had adopted a term, a soul sucker, because mm -hmm. you just meet certain people in life and they just want it like they, they, they there's just something about Dreamy. being around them that just you know the energy in the room dies down uh when they walk into a room it, it's like there's just it, you know there's joy is leaving and mm -hmm. i think everyone's experienced someone like that and you know it, it's likely that you know they're at least around this sort of thing yeah yep well Okay, so that's the vampires. Yep. Now, because we talked a bit about possession and we talked about a coin and stuff like that, let's talk about possession. And I've done some research on this. I've actually read, I did not say it out loud when I read it. <laughs> because by the way, ladies and gentlemen, just a little tip from my own research in this, and Jesse, please correct me if I'm wrong, but 
something that's really important that I hold true in my heart anyways is God can hear every single thought. The enemy cannot hear it. So when I say I read something as as a research, I don't say it out loud because I don't want the enemy to hear me say those words. So I, I'm actually conscious when I read, I don't even say it in my head for what it's worth. I'm able to just absorb words on a page and I've trained myself to do that. Uh, and and that's a, and there's something to be said about not letting the enemy know what your plans are. But what I had researched at one point in time is it's actually public. I don't advise people to search this stuff out, but there's an invocation of legion, and it actually walks through the process of inviting a demonic entity to come in to possess you. And it's voluntary. You actually ask. So possession is a very real thing. It is now, it, I, Jesse, I'm assuming people can be possessed without asking for it, and people can be possessed by asking for it. Can you elaborate on those two things? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. Uh, from what I've seen, I guess I would classify you know, that the involuntary part usually begins with heavy oppression. So the spirits have to have permission to take control or they're going to have to physically fight you for control. Um, or There are some stories out there where people will talk about, you know, getting ransacked by these demonic spirits in the middle of the night and the demon is fighting them, trying to rip their soul from their body and take control of them um so you know sometimes you've got that outright um attack going on um you know so with that the non-voluntary stuff that's something you know to be aware of with the sigils or the tokens um part of what the people who you know I don't want to use the word pray over those things, but they, they put spells and hexes over things, even to the extent of, you know, there's, um, you know, companies that sell household products. They have groups of witches that come in and, and, you know, put spells and link demons to those household products so that when you take that product into your home, which is an involuntary act you know you don't know that there's a spirit connected to it you're just bringing it into your home but in a way because you've brought it into your home you've now invited the spirit that came along with it into your home would that happen to be and i know you're probably not going to name the name because you would have but just as a clue for our listeners and and for some of those who are in tune a little bit more would one of those household furniture companies have just been exposed for selling children online as well, dressed as file cabinets? Yeah, that was one. Um, I mean, you can even go bigger than that. Um, you know, some of the really big manufacturers, like we'll just say J and J. Um, mm. What's the other Packard and Bell? Some of those. Um, you know, they, they all are involved in that. Um, so, yeah, so now you've got this spirit in your home that you're not even aware of that is there and you start to, you know, it starts to oppress. Some of the signs of oppression are nightmares, 
um, depression, you know, anger, sudden bursts of anger that come out of nowhere. And, um, you know, you're thinking, why am I feeling that way? So, you know, it can affect your mood and stuff like that. And that usually is a spirit that is tempting you in some way to accept what it's throwing at you. So staying um, on the involuntary part, is it also, can it also be generational? It can be. So, yeah, so, so, you know, the sins of the father are passed down to the right. children in some ways or grandfather. Or, yeah. Like I've heard story, you know, I've had people who were strong, um, you know, they could see and hear in, in the spirit world. So like for them, you know, the family had a generational spirit that would appear as a ghost. Um, often it, at times it would appear as one of the past family members. And so as they were young children, this ghost would start appearing and trying to talk to them, um, you know, as a family member. So that was one way that the spirit would get it, that connection with the individual starting in childhood. And then um, as they got older, then it would go for a stronger connection. Okay. And so, and by the way, just to, as a personal experience with this, uh, I'm not going to name names, but we actually had a very close family friend come uh, from 3,000 miles away and show up at my house the other night. And we were rejoicing in the fact that someone who we share at, in common uh, we were we were together uh, with this person, and we could clearly see a demon in this person's eyes, mm -hmm. and we immediately called it out. And by the way, this person was ready for it to come out. I, I want to make mm -hmm. that disclaimer. Um, this person had been tormented and was finally open uh, for that conversation, and literally uh, within moments this person's life has changed and it's been changed for a significant amount of time now. Uh, completely. It's like this dark thing over that person's life was just gone. So okay. this is real. And the kingdom comes in power, which is the name of Jesse's okay. book is so appropriately named because we talk about all these rituals and the spells and everything that the, that the other side has to do. And, God is so about that. Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, what are you waiting for? <laughs> what are you waiting for? <laughs> so let's get into the, the ones who voluntarily ask for possession. First of all, what are they hoping to gain from inviting a demon into them? And then what happens when it does come into them? Yeah, um, most of them that... I've talked to the big draw was power. So people have to remember that, you know, demons really were angelic beings um, created by God, just like us. They also have spiritual gifts. They have callings. They have specific things that God created them to do. So, you know, when the occult is looking to connect people with these demonic spirits, um, they look at those spiritual gifts of both the human and the demon. And like, if you connect 
you know, the person with the demon that has very similar spiritual gifts, it almost gives a heightened or supernatural ability to whatever that gift is, because you now have, you know, two spirits using their gifts in conjunction together. Um, so with that, you know, a lot of people that that's the draw is that they feel like they've got this supernatural ability or power through these demonic spirits. Um, you know, those who are advantageous enough to go after the general demons, you know, I, I call them the big bad boys. I mean, <laughs> I grew up with these guys and um, the majority of them, you know, they're, they're human hosts live about five years and then the demon utterly destroys these people from the inside out and uh you know but some people are advantageous enough to go after Molech or or to go after Baal and you know once they do that there isn't a turning back you know if that spirit has decided to connect with you they're gonna take full possession um, when that happens, a lot of people will report blackouts. Um, you know, they don't know what the spirit is doing when it has control of their body. Um, sometimes they'll remember fighting for that control. Um, you know, I've had several, they'll talk about, you know, there were times they did cry out to Jesus and, and the Lord did allow them to read claim that control of their body over the demon so they can outline that struggle and fight you know what internally went on um, a lot of them will have health issues then like um, seizures uh, you know loss of memory loss of time um, you know some of them remember you know glimpses of evil things that they've done under the control of those spirits um and, and do, do, does it does their bone structure or anything like can can that actually change when this comes in does it affect the physical appearance and is there a way to spot a demon possessed person um okay so the first one you know i've heard from i don't know that every demon um I, or I'll put it this way, not every demon is a shapeshifter. You know, when they take possession, they don't always change the form of how a person looks. Um, I call those demons that do shapeshifters. Um, where I saw those beings was primarily with the werewolves or the vampires. Um, so I think I had shared, I do, I have a friend who is a werewolf and with him, you know, he said that the the spirit would literally manipulate his joints or break bones to put them in different positions. And literally there would be the shape shifting that happened. Um, and, you know, he said it was something, it was very painful, but that was part of the sacrifice that the demon would require for the use of its power. So there's always a price that they have to pay when they're getting this power. So with with his demon, it it got a joy or a thrill off seeing him in dire pain um, as it was breaking bones or switching them, moving them around, things like that. Um, now you know, I've also seen I've also seen eyes 
and eyes where, where the pupils go from being round to being very elongated. It's almost like the person glitches for a second and then yeah. goes back. Have you seen that? Yeah, I have seen that. The They call them the reptilian eyes. Um, sometimes with that, you know, there have been people who have an extra eyelid all of a sudden that will glaze over and it goes the wrong direction. So it's very noticeable. Um, the other thing I've seen is eyes that change colors to, you know, like colors that normally are not an eye color. So, you know, I was at a, a place one time in saw a guy standing in the corner and we kind of locked eyes on each other and as he kept looking all of a sudden his eyes started glowing this bright red and I was like mm, no I'm not going to deal with that today I'm pretty sure that's a vampire and I'm out of here so um you know I, I've witnessed some of that um you know the the werewolf killings were probably one of the first um, it wasn't the first, but it was one of the first things that they um, had us watch and see, um, you know, to cause that fear. And, you know, most of the time the vampires and the wolves are used if you're a high level defector, they will send them to hunt you down if you try to get out. Um, you know, so I've actually had that happen a few times um, with my other friend who's a wolf. His son is is still involved in the system so the one time he got his phone and my name and story are on there so it was like oh shoot like <laughs> you know it was like okay lord I, I i really have to trust the lord you know and and say okay lord like even if you know they send those type of hunters after me you know i just have to trust the lord in it um but it's it's a pretty serious world, you know, that is all hidden that these people operate through. You know, and and it's it's amazing how commonplace this is, but yet it is hidden from most people. But yet they brag about it. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, one of the things that you're going to learn as we go into future broadcasts is symbolism will be their downfall, and how blatant they are in their symbolism. And, you know, Jesse, you, you brought up a couple other things, which I'm not going to challenge you on today, but now you've entered another word, shapeshifters, <laughs> which we're going to have to explain to the audience. But, you know, just going back when, when we talked about Johnny Depp and his band, Hollywood Vampires, and, and of course, Hollywood has been putting out vampire movies forever. And when you talk about the killings and stuff like that with the werewolves, well, you know, there's that famous Warren Zevon song, Werewolf in London. Like, these people are telling you what is going on. They're just not making up these songs out of thin air. Right. In fact, one of the things that, and we will do something on Hollywood and some of the movies that we've seen and certainly music, which is more my forte, uh, but how strong the messaging is and how they've been conditioning you. And by the way, they're conditioning you. So when this stuff becomes, as according to the evil one's plan, uh, your everyday life, which I believe he wants it to be right around the corner. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's coming soon. And, and ladies and gentlemen, you have to be ready for this. Uh, this is not fake. This is not uh, a conspiracy theory. This is real stuff. And you're listening to someone, 
in, in Jesse Zabotar, who has lived this and seen it firsthand. So, Jesse, before we conclude this, uh, we'll talk a bit more about the Hollywood and the music and, and some of the power of the media and actually who Lucifer was before he was cast down to this earth and get, become the prince of the air. But we have to address where we left off last week. So last week where we left off is you were supposed to fulfill this ceremony. Why don't you just describe what the ceremony was again? And, you, you know, and we left off with what your prayer was. So if you can remind mm -hmm. us and we'll tell that story and then we'll, we'll just end the broadcast on that note uh, because we have a lot more to talk about. Yeah. So, um, this was a ritual that pretty much I was prepared, you know, being prepared to fulfill since I was about age five. Um, and it dealt with, there were five aspects of it. So each of the mothers had a part that they were to fulfill. Um, and so there were five books that were to be opened and they were all prophetic books. Um, so as kids, they had linked us to these books. Um, and I'll, I'll maybe describe, I don't think I've, I don't remember if we went into this too much detail. Well, well I like um, this in case someone didn't hear the previous one, I want it to be yeah. somewhat of a standalone story. So it, I'll just, I'll okay. just bring up the speed because you mentioned mothers. There's, there's five mothers of darkness who are basically the, the top realm of the satanic uh, Luciferian cabal. And in, in mm -hmm. my opinion, and uh, from my understanding, I should say, rather than my opinion, and Jesse was being raised to be one of these mothers. She was the successor of a previous mother. And this ritual that was supposed to happen on April 24th of 2020, Jesse had the significance of opening the fifth ritualistic book, which essentially was a mockery of Jesus and, you know, the Antichrist to fulfill these prophecies and to become the false Christ. So that's kind of setting the stage and yeah, and I'll let you take it from there. So, so with this, um, you know, so I'm going to go back in time here. So um, one of the pre rituals for this, they um, were linking us to the books. So you had the five mothers of darkness and, and these books are ancient. Like um, this is, I'll just give a, a trigger warning here because this part's kind of gross, but, um, you know, the books literally are made out of human skin. Um, they're really heavy. As, as you hold it and open the pages, there's nothing written on the pages that you can see. But as you apply your blood to it, the prophecies appear on the page. And so what they had to do when we were kids um, you know, each mother who originally, you know, had been passed down and received this book, she was passing it on to her successor. And so there's a specific process for that. Um, one of the main key things is that the mothers knew that, you know, there would be no more successors, that we were the last line. Usually um, each you know, mother was succeeded when her successor got their own successor. Okay. But they knew from the time we were little that there, that we were the last generation of mothers. 
So when they linked these books to us, um, that was part of the ritual was them saying, you know, you will fulfill and speak the words of this prophecy. Um, so, you know, they kind of went in order and each mother cut the hand of her successor and put the blood on the book and their hand was on the page and then they would close the book on their hand and, and that kind of linked them to the book. Well, when they got to me, they had, the book was really heavy and they had both me and my training partner, you know, we're both kneeling there with our hands fully extended, palm up, trying to hold this, you know, I'll just say big book. Um, and, you know, he had most of the weight in it. Well, then, you know, she wanted me to put my hand on it. Well, I went to put my hand on it and all of a sudden there was this huge, I just call it a pow of light. And, you know, my proctor and the book and the other mothers all went flying in one direction, like against the back of the church wall. <laughs> And me and my training partner went flying the other direction past the pews and ended up all the way at the back door of the sanctuary at the church we were at. And I just remember, you know, when I started to sit up, I was looking face to face across, you know, down that aisle of pews at my proctor. And I had this vision where I saw her last days and I just started weeping. And I'm pretty sure my training partner saw it too, because he started crying as well. Um, so with that said, it was interesting that, you know, all of the other four mothers, they, or successors, they got linked to their books. I did not get linked to that book. Um, oh, you were a thorn in their side in every <laughs> single step. <laughs> I, I can't say I, I didn't try to be, but, um, yeah, well, so won't be mocked. <laughs> right. So years later, now fast forward, you know, the enemy still wants me to to be present, to participate in this ritual. Um, you know, and I, we earnestly had no idea like what they were going to do, if they were going to try to do it in the spirit world, if they were going to physically try to come and get me and have me present. Um, you know, we just didn't know. So. I literally had the, you know, government eyes on me, you know, for, I think it was like a 72 hour period, you know, where they were making sure that I was at home um, and that I physically was there. I had people calling, checking in, you know, making sure I was cognitively aware and not whisked off in the spirit world somehow. Um, so so the government, just for the, for the listening audience, um, the government knows about this stuff. The government knows about Jesse. Yeah. Jesse has, well, been in communication with them, and I'll leave leave that part alone. But there was actually some protection and stuff because the, the government, obviously, yeah, at least the current administration in the United States, does not want this, you know, Luciferian cabal to win. Yeah. And and we'll do we'll do we'll do a whole program on on the pol politics of stuff. But I just wanted to make that right. connection. But you had prayed and asked God if you should do this. So so bring us into right. what happened. Well, that was a little before. So yeah. So part of it was that um, to do this ritual and stuff. You know, they kept hounding me, wanting me to take my position. 
I kept denying it. You know, this is years that I've been denying this. I've rebuked it. I've renounced it. You know, I've told Satan he can do all sorts of stuff and, you know, basically saying, there's no way in hell you're going to get me to do this. And still they kept at me and, you know, it got to the point where I was just so frustrated and I was like, Lord, I have rebuked, I have renounced, I have rejected, you know, what else do I need to do to get these people to stop or to understand that, you know, I'm only going to serve you alone. And I mean, you know, God, he's, he's got to, uh, give you the least expected answer you want. And, and so you know, I really asked it as a rhetorical question, not expecting the Lord to answer at all. But instead, I got an immediate response. And the Lord said to me, take your position. And I was like, what? Did I just hear that right, Lord? You know, and um, I'll let people know, I mean, when you when you hear the Lord speak, you know, I grew up with the enemy speaking all the time. So I know the difference between their voices. Um there was no question I knew exactly who was speaking in this situation. And I said, Lord, can you say that again? And the Lord said, take your position. And my next question was why? And immediately the Lord brought to me the verse, you know, until all things are laid subject under his feet. And it was in reference to Jesus Christ. And, um, And I was like, okay, Lord, I understand now exactly what you want me to do. And so um, I had many, I had about 15 prayer warriors who, you know, I shared that with. When they prayed, they all felt, yes, this is exactly what the Lord wants you to do. So, you know, originally the way things were, the enemy has a protocol. So when a mother replaces the person that she's supposed to replace she does that through a special ritual basically where she kills the person she's replacing i knew that was not god's will so with this you know i went totally around the system and just went straight before the lord on my knees and said okay lord i'm taking this position and So in prayer, I took it and uh, ended up, I laid the entire kingdom, the system, all the people under the headship of Jesus Christ. And, um, (laughs) you know, and so here I'm supposed to this fifth ritual, I'm supposed to literally hand the system over to the Antichrist. And instead, so the power would shift from the mothers to the Antichrist, more ceremonial than anything, because. Right. Okay. But before that even happened, I already had given all the entire headship and handed everything over to Jesus Christ himself. So um, (laughs) you could see how things already were really messed up. Um, So when that day came, of course, you know, nobody showed up for the ritual. Actually, everybody was in quarantine. They had already started the COVID quarantine at that time. So people were stuck in their homes. Nobody could go anywhere. And me and my trading partner were both under 72 hours of eyes on watch. So, um, (laughs) you know, Satan did not get the ritual that he wanted. 
Um, again, you know, I'll explain the enemy still, you know, he's allowed certain power. He's allowed certain things. God's already ordained that the Antichrist will rise and that he'll be given a certain amount of power and reign. So all that is still going to happen and take place. It's just not happening the way the enemy intended for it to happen. And that's such an important note. Uh, you know, there's been chinks in the armor uh, of the things that the Antichrist wanted fulfilled. But the, the end of the book, Revelation, is still going to happen. The Antichrist is going to rise. And he's going to fool most of the world. I have some theories on how that's going to happen. And perhaps we'll... Uh, get into a different uh, discussion on that. But Jesse, what an absolute pleasure it is having you. And, and thank you for agreeing to keep coming on this. Uh, we, we discussed some things before the broadcast as well about doing some future episodes and more things together. Um, I just, uh, I'm just, I'm just so thankful for you and the bravery that you have. Uh, one of the, by the way, for the for the listening audience, one of the biggest questions that has come in is, how is Jesse safe? And there there are lots of answers to that. And I'll let her explain in her own words the next time we get together, uh, because there's some limitations of what she can say. Uh, but Jesse, thank you once again for being part of Right On Radio today. Thanks, Jeff. Right on radio. Right on radio.